السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ نحمد الکریم اما بعد فعود بلّہ من الشیطان الرجیم بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم وبشرحلی صدری ویسری امری وحل العقدم السانی یفقہ قولی ربنا زدنا علما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد When I recite the durud, you all should do it along with me as well or do it in your hearts The reason is that uh, when we study the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, you know the etiquette that this has been the tradition of the scholars of the past, that whenever the hadith has been read, has been studied, the seerah has been studied, always we should send peace and blessings upon him, inshallah. So make sure you do that, alright? Imam Bukhari, when he wrote his book, before he wrote any chapter heading, or before he wrote any hadith in his book, he performed two rakah salah, and before that he would also perform the ghusl. So her question is that what should we do on our part when we're learning the hadith? Definitely what he did, something that is amazing. But for us, at least we can perform two rakah nafu before we come to class every day. Make it a habit that may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make this effort of ours sincere only for his sake so that we benefit from it immensely. So when he prayed to nafu, what was the reason behind that? To correct his intention and also to seek the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. إِيَّاكَ نَعْبُدُ وَإِيَّاكَ نَسْتَعِينَ So similarly when we are seeking knowledge, when we are studying this book, we need the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is why we should also perform nafu or make dua or something or the other before starting this inshaAllah. Alright. At the beginning of the book when we read the name of Imam Bukhari, it called Shaykh al-Imam al-Hafiz. The word hafiz in the past was used for a scholar who had not just memorized the Qur'an, but he had memorized the hadith. And he had not just memorized a few ahadith, but he knew at least a hundred thousand. Meaning, you had to know a whole lot of ahadith, and not just the text, but along with the text, the sanad as well. Then a person would be called by the title of al-hafiz. And these days, who is called a hafiz? Somebody who's memorized the Qur'an only. And in the past, a person who had memorized the Qur'an, there was no special title for him. I mean, the word qari also was used for a person who had, yes, memorized the Qur'an, but knew the different qira'at as well. That person would be called a qari. And these days, any person who recites beautifully is called a qari. So see, the standards of the past were very, very high. They were very high. This is why Imam Bukhari was called hafiz. So when you're memorizing the hadith, you are trying to get somewhere near that at least, inshallah. Let's begin the study of the hadith. We studied the Sanat of the first Hadith, Haddathan al-Humaydiyu, all the way up to Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu, ala al-minbar. And now inshallah we will study the Matan, the text of the Hadith. What's the text? That Umar radiyallahu anhu, he said, سَمِعْتُ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمَ يَقُولُ إِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالُ بِالنِّيَّاتِ وَإِنَّمَا لِكُلِّ مْرِئِمْ مَا نَوَى فَمَنْ كَانَتْ هِجْرَتُهُ إِلَى دُنْيَا يُصِيبُهَا أو إلى امرأة ينكحها فهجرته إلى ما هاجر إليه. This hadith talks about intention. And if you look at the chapter, what's the chapter? كتاب بدء الوحي. Or we learn باب كيف كان بدء الوحي إلى رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم. 
Now, on the apparent, there seems to be no correlation between this hadith and the chapter heading. The chapter is about revelation, about wahi, and the hadith speaks about intention, about the sincerity of the intention. Why is this hadith mentioned over here then? Some scholars, they have said that the reason why Imam Bukhari mentioned this hadith as the first one is to show the importance of sincerity before doing any good action. If you think about it, the compilation of hadith in the form of a book, isn't that a good deed? Of course it is. And the fact is that a person, when he does anything for the sake of Allah, what's his intention, what's his goal? That he wants to attain reward for it. So before performing this deed even, writing his book, writing all of these ahadith, before that he reminds himself and the reader of the importance of the correct intention. That no matter what deed a person does, his goal should be to attain the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the reward of the hereafter. Other scholars have said that there is a relationship between the chapter heading and the hadith as well. What's that relationship? That relationship is that the objective of compiling this book was together wahi, ghair matlu. Isn't it so? Why was it that Imam Bukhari was compiling this book? Because he wanted to collect the authentic wahi, ghair matlu. And what is wahi, ghair matlu? Wahi that is not recited, meaning the sunnah, the words of the Prophet ﷺ. Alright? So he begins with the chapter of revelation. Now, why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala send revelation? So that people worship who? Only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is ikhlas. That is sincerity. So the reason behind sending the wahi is so that people have sincerity. So the first hadith that comes in the book of revelation is which one? Of sincerity. Because that is the purpose of sending wahi. وَمَا أُمِرُوا إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُ اللَّهَ مُخْلِصِينَ لَهُ الدِّينَ Isn't it so? Making sincere to him, worship. So worship is sincerity for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is also a form of worship, an act of worship. And the hadith teaches us how to worship Allah. So this is why intention, niyyah comes first. Now the hadith. إِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالُ بِالنِّيَّاتِ إِنَّمَا what does innama mean? Indeed, not but. Meaning this is the case. Al-a'mal, the actions, bin-niyat, with the intentions. What does it mean by a'mal? A'mal is a plural of amal. And amal, what does it refer to? The actions of a person. And this includes the words that a person says. This includes the deeds that he performs. This includes his thinking as well. And this also includes when a person leaves something. Remember that tark, leaving something is also an action. It is also an amal. We discussed this in tafsir once. That leaving something is also an action. Which is why when a person leaves something bad for the sake of Allah, for that also he gets reward. So anyway, amal includes any deed, any action that a person does. It includes acts of worship. It includes a person's dealings with others. It includes the habits of a person. It includes actions that are related to dunya only, you know, completely worldly actions. It includes the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It includes rituals, talking, you know, making a promise, washing one's clothes, giving advice to another, hmm, attending a class, just anything that a human being can do. What is that? Amal. So over here we see that innamal a'malu. Al-a'mal, the actions, all actions. How are they? Bin niyyat. The word niyyat is a plural of niyyah. And niyyah is from the root letters noon wa ya. From the word nawa. Inna Allah faliq al-habbi wa nawa. 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a cleaver of hab as well as nawa. Hab is grain and nawa is the seed. Like for example, you're having a peach. As you eat it, what will you find in the middle? The seed. So where is the seed? It is buried inside. It is deep inside the fruit. Similarly, this seed, where do you put in the ground? Inside, deep underground. So it's hidden. It's not visible. It's not apparent. It's not on the surface. Niya, intention. Is it apparent? Is it on the surface? No. That is also hidden deep. Where? Inside your heart. Isn't it so? However, just because it's hidden does not mean it's not there and does not mean that it does not have an effect on the action. The seed, does it have an effect on the plant that grows out of it? Of course. The way the seed will be, the plant will be. It's not possible that you put a peach seed in the ground and there comes a mango plant out of it. It's not possible. Whatever kind of seed you put in the ground, that is a kind of plant that you will get. Similarly, the way the intention is, the action is like that as well. You understand? Now can you relate it with the seed? So over here we learn that إِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالُ بِالنِّيَّاتِ What does it mean by this? بِالنِّيَّاتِ This ba has been understood in a number of ways, which is why there are many different interpretations of this sentence. إِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالُ بِالنِّيَّاتِ I will tell you only a few. Because if we go on to studying each and every one of them, it will take very long. And we want to get through as many of the ahadith of this book as possible. So, innamal a'malu bin niyat, first of all it is said that the actions, innamal a'mal, the actions, bin niyat, meaning they are based on intentions. So the action, its acceptance or its rejection is based on how the intention was. So if a person does something for the sake of Allah, then his action will be Accepted. But if a person does something only to gain praise from people, then will his action be accepted or rejected? Rejected. So the acceptance, rejection of deeds is based on what? The intentions. إِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالُ Or we can understand this as that the reward or the punishment for an action is based on what? The intention. The way the intention was, similar will be the reward of the person or the punishment of a person. Meaning, if the intention is very sincere, then the reward will also be great, immense, pure. But if a person's intention is mixed up, it's not for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then how will the recompense be? It will not be reward, it will be something else. So in other words, actions are based on intentions. What do we learn from this meaning? What comes into your mind? What are you thinking? That success is not just about the outcome of the action, it's also about the state of the heart while we were performing that action. Meaning, for example, we give a gift to somebody and they thank us, they praise us, they become very happy, doesn't just mean we have done a good deed if our intention was not right. So we should not just be concerned about the outcome of the action, but we should also be concerned about how we are feeling on the inside. Because if the feeling is not correct, the outcome doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Similarly, if a person is gaining knowledge, he's seeking knowledge, he's memorizing a lot, he's learning a lot of names, so he's able to quote them, he's able to remember them, the outcome is very good. But the outcome does not matter if the intention is not correct. Because the outcome could be a big burden on a person if the intention is not correct. Because what good is that result if it's not rewarded for? That every action we do, there must be a sincere intention behind it. 
any good deed that we do, whether it is sitting in class or it is you know, speaking to somebody in a nice manner, fulfilling a promise, anything we do, the intention should be what? The pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because, إِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالُ بِالنِّيَّاتِ If you want to get something out of the seed, you have to put it in the ground, in sight. Isn't it so? If you leave it at the surface, or if it's not that strong, if it's not that firm, then is the plant going to come out of it? No. Similarly, the intention, niyyah, should be firm. We should be conscious about it. Because many times we're doing our actions, and we don't really think about the intention that we have behind it. For example, we're coming every day. Yeah, we're coming. Yes, I'm doing my work. What's the reason? Why am I doing it? Question yourself. Reignite the intention every time. Because if you don't, what's going to happen? The action is not going to be firm. Intention is the key for istiqama, for steadfastness. That when a person is sincere in his intention, then inshallah, as we see over here, إِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالُ بِالنِّيَّةِ Then the reward is there and sometimes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shows it very quickly in this dunya as well. So إِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالُ بِالنِّيَّةِ One meaning is that the actions are based on intentions. Another meaning is that the intention is the reason for doing the action. إِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالُ بِالنِّيَّةِ Meaning because of the niyat. إِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالُ بِالنِّيَّةِ Meaning because of. So the intention is the reason for doing the deed. In other words, if there is no intention, there is no action. لا عمل إلا بنيه. There is no action without an intention. Meaning, no action can be complete, can be correct, unless and until there is an intention behind it. You understand? Like for example, no good deed will be considered a good deed until and unless there is the right intention behind it. If a person does not pay attention to the niyyah. If a person does not pay attention to the niyyah, then the action is incomplete. The action is incomplete. It's not worth anything. So, إِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالُ بِالنِّيَّاتِ And this hadith also shows to us that every person who is aqil, who has an aqil, meaning he is able to use his reason, then any action that he is doing, definitely there will be some reason behind it. You know, sometimes you say, I did it for no reason. It's not possible. You had some reason behind it. Sometimes that reason is not that clear to you. But there is always a reason why you are doing something. There is always a reason why you are doing something. And if you start questioning yourself about the intention, then you will really get to know about yourself. You will really get to know about yourself. Because this is when we will begin to analyze our actions. We will begin to analyze our behaviors. For example, you give a gift to someone. all right, And they do not call you. They do not send you a thank you note. So you begin to wonder, are they okay? What's the reason? Why did they not thank me? Now at this point you question yourself, why did I give it anyway? Did I give it to receive some thank you note? Did I give it to receive some kind of appreciation? Or did I give it for the sake of Allah? You understand? So every action always has a reason behind it. It's not possible that you do something and you say, oh I didn't mean anything. No, you mean something. This is why you did it. This is why you said it. And when you see that the result is not as you wanted it to be, then question yourself. Why did I do it? And this is the time to analyze our intentions. Then another meaning is that إِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالُ بِالنِّيَّاتِ That the deeds are established with the intentions. Deeds are established with the intentions. What does it mean? That your amal, your action, will be according to your intention. Your action will be according to your intention. If a person has intended something good, he will do good. 
And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will facilitate that way for him as well. Isn't it so? That if your intention is to really do islah with someone, to really reform your relationship with someone, then what will happen? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will facilitate that for you. But if your intention is that they should acknowledge your greatness or they should submit to you completely, then will you be able to reconcile with them? You will not be able to reconcile. So the way the intention is, the action will be. Your amal will be according to your intention. Now sometimes it happens that we do something and we say, but this was not my intention. Question yourself, really, what was your intention? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows very well about how our intention is. So, إِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالُ بِالنِّيَّاتِ Indeed, the actions are based on intentions. وَإِنَّمَا لِكُلِّ مْرِئٍ مَا نَوَى And for every person is what he intends. Meaning, every person will get what he intends. Whatever a person wants, that's what he will get. So, if a person wants وَجْهُ اللَّهِ دَارُ الْآخِرَةِ By the action that he is performing, then will he get it? Will he get that? Yes, because the Prophet ﷺ said, وَإِنَّمَا لِكُلِّ مْرِئٍ مَا نَوَى Whatever your intention is, you will get it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمَنْ كَانَ يُرِيدُ حَرْثَ الدُّنْيَا نُؤْتِهِ مِنْهَا Isn't it so? Whoever wants the harth of dunya, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give him from it. And whoever wants the harth of akhirah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give that to him as well. So, وَإِنَّمَا لِكُلِّ مْرِئٍ مَا نَوَى Every person will get what he intends for. If a person wants praise, okay, he might get it. But if a person wants akhirah, then he will get that. وَإِنَّمَا لِكُلِّ مْرِئٍ مَا نَوَى فَمَنْ كَانَتْ هِجْرَتُهُ إِلَى دُنْيَا يُصِيبُهَا So whoever's hijrah is to dunya, which he wants to attain. Meaning, if a person is immigrating in order to avail some worldly opportunity, this could be some business opportunity, this could be some tijara, a job, anything. The example of hijrah is given over here. Hijrah is what? Leaving your home country and going elsewhere. And if you think about it, hijrah, this is a very difficult action, isn't it so? A very visible action, isn't it? It's a very visible action. If you're praying, right, you pray salah, it's quite possible somebody doesn't notice you, somebody doesn't see you. But if a person is migrating from one city to another, from one country to another, everybody will notice. So it's a very noticeable action, a very overt action, very obvious action, manifest action. And a very great action as well. A very great deed for which the reward is very, very great. But if this great deed, which is very obvious, for this even the intention is not correct, a person will not get reward for it. If a person's intention for hijrah is that he wants to get some dunya, or he wants to, or he wants to marry a woman, the Prophet ﷺ said, فَهِجْرَتُهُ إِلَى مَا هَجْرَ إِلَيْهِ Then his hijrah is to that which he immigrated to. Meaning, that he will get that dunya, he will get that woman. He will not get the reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because he did not do it for the sake of Allah. Now this is something that is very scary. Because as we discussed earlier, hijrah is a very visible action, a very great deed for which a person has to sacrifice. He has to have a lot of courage. He has to have a lot of determination. He has to have a lot of patience. I mean, you cannot do it without difficulty. But if this great deed is being done without the right intention, it doesn't bring a person reward. If a person does it for the sake of dunya, that's what he will get. He will not have any reward in the hereafter. If a person does it for the sake of a woman, that's what he will get. Not reward in the hereafter. So the example of the hijrah is given over here. And notice that two things have been mentioned about hijrah. Dunya and secondly, imra'ah. Dunya. What does that represent? 
it represents shahwatul batan the desire of the batan of the stomach and the woman nikah what does that signify shahwatul faraj the desire of the private part so any action that a person does he should check himself he should analyze himself that why am i doing it is it just to satisfy the desire of my stomach the desire of my body is it just to gain praise from people or is it for the sake of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because a person will only get what he intends and there is a very deep relationship between this as well that what you intend you strive towards it isn't it so what you want you go towards it it's only natural and when you will go towards it allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will facilitate that for you when you will facilitate that for you then what will happen you will get that end result so it's not possible that a person says i have a very sincere intention but he ends up doing something wrong no if the intention is correct the action will also be right and if the intention is not right the action will also not be right the outcome will also not be right so this hadith teaches us that first of all we should correct our intentions we should be sincere in the deeds that we perform and any deed that we perform it should be for the sake of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and this hadith you see at the beginning of this book it teaches us a very very important lesson that as we embark on this journey of seeking knowledge studying this great book of hadith we should reflect on ourselves we should look inside of ourselves and see why are we doing what we are doing is it that we are seeking knowledge just to become knowledgeable just so that we can think of ourselves as very learned just so that we can say yes i have also done this just so that we can put one more thing on our resume just so that we can debate with people who have knowledge just so that we can look down on people who don't have this knowledge what's our intention we have to be very very careful because you see remember the statement of the scholar that al-ilmu yadhi'u bayn al-haya'i wal-kibr knowledge gets wasted between shyness and pride so if this knowledge is taking a person to pride is making a person proud then it's a wasted effort it's a wasted effort but if a person is seeking this knowledge to improve himself to increase in his actions to be of those people who have ilm and amal then inshallah allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will also facilitate that way for the person so we have to look into ourselves look into our hearts that what is the intention why are we doing this what's the purpose if our goal is the ajr the reward from allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then what will happen any difficulty that comes in the way it will be easier to deal with it it will be easier to deal with it like for example you're coming here you have to do your homework you have to mark that checklist so what is it that can motivate you is it just numbers numbers alone cannot motivate you and if it's numbers only it's not sufficient it's not good enough because eventually what's going to happen if you are unable to do one checklist you will be like that's it i cannot do it anymore forget it but if your intention is that no i want to increase in my knowledge so that i can become a better person so that i can do this and this and this and eventually earn the ajr of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then this whole effort will become easier you will enjoy this journey you will not take it as a burden but rather you will enjoy every moment of it if a person started off with a different intention halfway through they realize what am i doing then they can fix their intention and they definitely should fix it because if they don't fix it then that's a problem and the thing is that it's not possible that you make your intention once and it stays like that forever why because where is the niya it's in the heart and what's the state of the heart it's constantly moving this is why we make dua to allah that oh allah make my heart firm ya muqallib al qulub so intention can 
change. This is how riya comes in. So this is why it's necessary that we renew our intention every now and then. If the intention is wrong, if the intention is bad, a person will see that bad. A person will actually see it because وَإِنَّمَا لِكُلِّ مْرِئِنْ مَا نَوَى So it's not possible that a person has an evil intention in his heart and he doesn't see evil. No, he will end up seeing evil. So if a person is treating someone in a bad way, intending to harm them, on the apparent they try to be very good, no, they're going to see the end result of their actions. So we see over here that the main thing is the intention. Because sometimes it happens that a person has a good intention, but he's unable to do what he wants to do. So will he get the ajr? Yes, he will get the ajr. That we should always be checking our intention every now and then. Intention gives you confidence that when you have nothing to fear because you're not a criminal, you're not doing anything wrong, then it gives you confidence. It keeps you calm. It keeps you relaxed. But if a person has mixed intentions, then what happens? He becomes nervous. Isn't it so? This book, Imam Bukhari, he wrote for who? Not just the masses, but rather for the scholars as well as the students of knowledge. And when he wrote this book, the first hadith that he puts is about intentions, reminding himself and reminding the reader as well. That this action that you're doing, memorizing the hadith, studying the hadith, narrating them, it brings you a lot of fame, it brings you a lot of worldly success. But why are you doing this? Correct your intention. Because if the intention is not correct, then this effort of traveling and going to scholars and learning from teachers and narrating and memorizing and reviewing, it's a wasted effort. That intention gives you purpose and that purpose gives you motivation to continue, to keep going despite the difficulty. Let's continue. Hadith number two. حدثنا عبد الله بن يوسف قال أخبرنا مالك عن هشام بن عروة عن أبيه عن عائشة أم المؤمنين رضي الله عنها أن الحارث بن هشام رضي الله عنه سأل رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم فقال يا رسول الله كيف يأتيك الوحي فقال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم أحيانا يأتيني مثل صلصلة الجرس وهو أشده علي فيفصم عني وقد وعيت عنه ما قال وأحيانا يتمثل لي الملك رجلا فيكلمني فأعي ما يقول قالت عائشة رضي الله عنها ولقد رأيته ينزل عليه الوحي في اليوم الشديد البرد فيفصم عنه وإن جبينه لا يتفصد عرقا Aisha radiallahu anha narrated that Al-Harith ibn Hisham radiallahu anhu asked Allah's Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, O Allah's Messenger, how is the divine revelation revealed to you? Allah's Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam replied, Sometimes it is revealed like the ringing of a bell. This form of revelation is the hardest of all. And then this state passes off after I have grasped what is revealed. Sometimes the angel comes in the form of a man and talks to me and I grasp whatever he says. Aisha radiallahu added, Verily, I saw the Prophet sallallahu being inspired divinely and noticed the sweat dropping from his forehead on a very cold day as the revelation was over. Let's do the word to word. Haddathana Abdullah ibn Yusuf. Abdullah ibn Yusuf, he narrated to us. Who does us refer to? Na. Imam Bukhari. And remember the word haddathana is used when a student learns from a teacher where? In a classroom setting. So the na indicates plural. So it shows that Imam Bukhari was not the only one who heard this from Abdullah ibn Yusuf at that time when he was narrating this hadith, but rather there were many other students like Imam Bukhari. 
So Abdullah ibn Yusuf, who was he? The teacher of Imam Bukhari. He said, meaning Abdullah ibn Yusuf, he said, Akhbarana Malikun. Malik informed us. Who is Malik? This is Imam Malik. Imam Malik, the author of Muwatta. So he was a teacher of Abdullah ibn Yusuf. So, Akhbarana Malikun. An Hisham ibn Urwata. Malik, he narrated from who? Hisham ibn Urwa. Who was Hisham ibn Urwa? He was the son of Urwa. An Abihi. So who is the father of Hisham ibn Urwa? Urwa. Now the question is, who is Urwa? This is Urwa ibn Zubair. And Zubair, this is Zubair ibn al-Awwam, the Sahabi of the Prophet ﷺ. And Urwa was the son of Zubair and Asma radiallahu anha. Who was Asma radiallahu anha? She was the sister of Aisha radiallahu anha. So in other words, Urwa was the nephew of Aisha radiallahu anha. What do we learn from this? Who is learning from who? The nephew is learning from his aunt. Isn't that amazing? Nephew learning from aunt. And we see that Aisha radiallahu she used to narrate hadith, she used to teach the men as well. She used to teach the men as well. Many times the Sahaba and after them the Tabi'een, they would come to Aisha radiallahu and ask her questions about things that they were unaware of, that they were confused about, there was some difference about, there was some confusion about, so they would come and ask her. So Aisha radiallahu would also teach them. But amongst all the men who learned from her, Urwa is at the top. Urwa had the greatest knowledge of hadith narrated from Aisha radiallahu Why? Because he was her nephew, so there was no hijab issue. So he would come and learn from her very easily. And we see that at that time when Urwa was growing up, and he was learning from Aisha radiallahu there was a lot of political unrest. And he focused on learning. He focused completely on studying, on learning. So he had a lot of knowledge of fiqh, as well as a lot of knowledge of hadith. And he learned especially from Aisha radiallahu عن أبيه عن عائشة أم المؤمنين رضي الله عنها. سعروة هي نعتد فمه عائشة رضي الله عنها. And she said that أن الحارث ابن هشام. عائشة رضي الله عنها said that حارث ابن هشام. Who is he? رضي الله عنه meaning he was a companion. He was a sahabi. سأل he asked he questioned. Who questioned? حارث ابن هشام. He questioned رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم. So you see over here that a sahabi is asking the Prophet ﷺ and who is listening very carefully? Aisha anha. Aisha anha was very inquisitive which is why we see that she asked Prophet ﷺ many questions and also when other people came asking their questions she would also pay a lot of attention because she was interested in learning. So anytime somebody was asking she was present she would pay attention not out of, you know, trying to see what other people are asking just to meddle into their affairs. No way, not at all. But to learn. Because one is that you ask a question and the other is that somebody else is asking and you benefit from that. Isn't it so? And there's so many things that we can learn. Sometimes it happens that you go to a class and after the class there is a question answer session. And sometimes you think, oh, never mind. I don't have a question to ask. Let me just go. Don't go. Don't leave. Because when other people are asking, even you can learn from that. So imagine Aisha Adiranha is narrating a hadith Hmm? She didn't ask a question, somebody else asked, but she heard very attentively. So Harith ibn Hisham, he asked the Prophet ﷺ, what did he ask? He said, فَقَالَ So he said, يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ O Messenger of Allah, 
kayfa how yatika it comes to you what comes to you alwahyu the revelation how does the wahi come to you meaning in what manner in what way what is the procedure what's the method that is adopted because you see wahi is something that the other people could not hear when it was being given to the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam isn't it so because what's the literal meaning of the word wahi to inspire secretly and quickly isn't it to get a message across to someone secretly quickly so that others who are around they have no idea so the companions they would be you know in the company of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam the wahi would come and he would tell them so harith ibn hisham he was curious that how does this wahi come to you remember that this question is not out of doubt not at all the sahaba did not doubt they did believe in the truthfulness of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam so why was he asking just to establish assurance to establish peace of mind that if i understand how the wahi comes you know i will be at peace i will be addressed i will be confident about it i will have yaqeen about this so this was just to establish assurance this is just like ibrahim alayhi salam he asked allah subhanahu wa ta'ala what kayfa tuhyil mauta how will you bring the dead alive awalam tu'min bala walakin liyatma'inna qalbi liyatma'inna qalbi similarly the sahaba they would you know the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam would recite the ayat of the quran to them how does this come to you just curiosity and just to satisfy the heart so that there's no doubt ever now one question i have for you why do you think imam bukhari mentions this hadith as a second hadith right at the beginning of the chapter why do you think so that if we have any doubt as well we should also remove it that should also be removed that should also go away a person must have no doubt in the wahi that came to the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam because that is the foundation of this deen that is a foundation of this deen if a person has doubt in the method of the wahi then there is doubt about the entire religion but if a person has yaqeen about the wahi then he has yaqeen in the entire religion so he questioned him that kayfa ya'tika alwahyu how does this wahi come to you faqala rasulullahi sallallahu alayhi wasallam so the messenger of allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam replied he said ahyanan ahyanan is a plural of hin hin means time so ahyanan times meaning at times in other words sometimes sometimes ya'tini it comes to me misla similar to salsalatil jarasi ringing of a bell sometimes it comes and it's similar to the ringing of a bell salsala what does salsala mean salsalin what kind of clay is it that produces sound so salsala is the ringing sound al jaras bell wa huwa ashadduhu alayya and it is ashadduhu the most difficult of it alayya upon me meaning of all the different ways that the wahi comes to me this is the most difficult way this is the most difficult one wa huwa ashadduhu alayya fayufsamu anni then it is stopped from me yufsamu from fa sad mim fasama is when something stops and then continues after some time it stops and then it continues after some time so fayufsamu anni meaning and then it comes to an end but it doesn't mean that the wahi is completely ended it never comes to me again no it comes again whenever it has to next time so fayufsamu anni meaning it is completed so until the wahi is completed meaning until those particular ayat are completed meaning the revelation is complete i keep hearing this ringing of a bell and it's very very difficult for me wa qad wa'aytu anhu 
And in fact, wa'aytu, I have, wa'aytu gives the meaning of fahimtu, hafiztu. It's from the root letters wa'ainya. Wa'ta'iyaha udhunun wa'iyah. Wa'i is a container. So wa'a is a container. What you put in a container is preserved. Right? It is secured. So wa'aytu meaning I have memorized. I have retained. I have understood. Anhu from him. From who? From Jibreel. The one who has brought the revelation to me. Ma qala what he has said. Meaning whatever he has revealed to me. Wa ahyanan and sometimes yatamathalu. He takes form. Yatamathalu. We have done this word earlier in Surah Maryam. Fatamathala laha. Fatamathala. Meaning he took the form of, came in the image of. So yatamathalu, he comes in the image of, leave for me al-malaku, the angel. What form? Rajulan of a man. So the angel, sometimes he comes to me in the form of a man. And when he comes to me in the form of a man, فَيُكَلِّمُنِي Then he speaks to me, he does kalam with me. Meaning it's like a conversation. فَأَعِي So I Remember, I memorize, I retain, I keep ma yaqulu what he says, meaning whatever that he has brought to me. Now, qalat Aisha radiyallahu anha. Aisha radiyallahu anha, she said, meaning she added to this. What did she add? What did she say while she was narrating this? So you see over here the statement of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is from ahyanan yatini all the way to fa'i ma yaqul. And now Aisha radiyallahu anha, she is narrating this statement, she adds to it, وَلَقَدْ رَأَيْتُهُ And certainly I saw him, who? The Prophet ﷺ, يَنزِلُ عَلَيْهِ الْوَحْيُ That the revelation was revealed on him. يَنزِلُ نَزَلَ It came down to him, it came down upon him. When? في in during الْيَوْمِ A day that is الشَّدِيدِ الْبَرَدِ الشديد severe, albard cold. Meaning an extremely cold day. The wahi came upon him. And then, فَيَفْصِمُ عَنْهُ Then it stopped from him, meaning by the time it was completed, by the time the wahi was over, then what happened? وَإِنَّ جَبِينَهُ And indeed his forehead. Jabin, forehead. لَيَتَفَصَّدُ عَرَقًا It was sweating profusely. يَتَفَصَّدُ is from فَاسْعَدَّالِ And this word literally means when someone bleeds, when a vein is cut open. So imagine if the vein has been cut, how a person is bleeding. Profusely. A lot of blood is coming out. And عَرَقًا is to sweat. So لَيَتَفَصَّدُ عَرَقًا He was sweating profusely. Meaning the sweat was dripping from his forehead on an extremely cold day, just as blood would pour out of an open vein. So in other words, she is explaining the difficulty that the Prophet ﷺ experienced when the wahi came upon him. Now, this hadith, it teaches us many, many things. First of all, we see that the Prophet ﷺ, he describes two ways in which the wahi came to him. It wasn't that the wahi did not come to him in other ways. No, there were many other ways in which the revelation came to him, such as true dreams, such as directly Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaking to him. But they're not mentioned over here. Why? Because what was the question? The question was, كَيْفَ يَأْتِيكَ الْوَحِيُّ How does this wahi come to you? Through the angel. Because the Sahaba knew that the angel Jibreel brings the wahi to the Prophet ﷺ. So when Jibreel brings wahi to you, how does he communicate with you? How does he talk to you? We don't see anything. We don't hear anything. Right? You're quiet for a few moments. You're sweating. We can see the burden that you're experiencing. And then all of a sudden, you know, that phase is over. And then you tell us about the ayat that you have received. So the Prophet ﷺ tells us over here of the two ways 
in which Jibreel brought wahi to him. This is the explanation of, of what? How Jibreel brought the wahi to the Prophet ﷺ. And there are other ways in which the wahi was sent to the Prophet ﷺ. In Surah Al-Shura, Ayah 51, we learn, وَمَا كَانَ لِبَشَرٍ أَن يُكَلِّمَهُ اللَّهُ إِلَّا وَحْيًا أَوْ مِنْ وَرَاءِ حِجَابٍ أَوْ يُرْسِلَ رَسُولًا فَيُوحِيَ بِإِذْنِهِ مَا يَشَاءٍ So this is the explanation of what? يُرْسِلَ رَسُولًا This is the explanation of how Jibreel brought wahi to the Prophet ﷺ. And how did Jibreel bring wahi to the Prophet ﷺ? In two ways. First of all, mitla salatil jarasi, like the ringing of a bell. Now, if you think about it, the bell, what is the bell? It is said that this bell, al-jaras, is in particular a small object containing a piece of copper which is hung on to a camel. Just like people's pets, you know, or cows even, cat even, people put a bell around it, right? So what happens? As the animal walks, the piece of copper, it moves. And as it moves, it will hit the object that is around it and that will produce a sound. So this is salsalat al-jaras. And this sound is produced how? By the hitting, by the constant movement. Now if you think about it, a sound, any sound, it has two parts to it. First of all, its strength. And secondly, its type. The strength meaning how severe it is, how loud it is. And the type meaning how it is being produced. A bell is being used, voice is being used, some musical instrument is being used. Because a person might question, I mean, bells are not supposed to be good. So why is the Prophet ﷺ giving the example of a bell? We're not talking about the bell over here. We're talking about the strength and the constant movement. You understand? That's what the focus is over here. So the similarity, it lies in the strength of the sound. The sound of the bell, that's not relevant to us. The sound of the strength is what we're focusing on. The strength of the sound. Just imagine a bell that is being moved, you know, constantly. The ringing of a bell. So that's how he would hear it. So, مثل صلصلة الجرسي. And the strength, what does this indicate? That when the wahi would come on the Prophet ﷺ, it would be very loud and clear to him, just as the loudness and the clarity of the ringing of a bell. Many times, a bell is rung, why? To announce something, that this time is over. Or everybody should come here. Right? It grasps your attention. So similarly, when the wahi came to the Prophet ﷺ, it grasped his complete attention. So he would not hear other things, but rather he would hear the words that were being revealed to him. So he would not hear anything else while the revelation was being revealed to him. And it also shows that how difficult the experience was for the Prophet ﷺ. Because imagine... You have a piece of copper that's constantly banging, banging, banging. And as it bangs, it produces the sound. Imagine the pressure, the strength. So this is the pressure that the Prophet ﷺ also experienced. So mithla salsalatil jarasi. Now remember that over here the Prophet ﷺ says, وَهُوَ أَشَدُّهُ عَلَيَّ It is the most difficult forms on me. All types of wahi were difficult upon the Prophet ﷺ. All types of wahi. But this one was... Especially difficult, it was most difficult. And why is it that it had to be difficult? Could Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not make it easy upon the Prophet ﷺ? Why did it have to be difficult? Why do you think so? So that the Prophet ﷺ would fully concentrate. Does it ever happen with you that you're experiencing some pain in your, let's say, hand? And as you're doing your work, every few seconds, where is your mind going? Your hand. Your hand, your hand, even if it's just a paper cut. Isn't it so? Pain, you know, it fully involves you. You cannot get distracted from the pain. No matter what you're doing, where you are, who you're in front of, 
what's going to happen? The pain that you're experiencing, your mind is going to go there constantly. So similarly, when it was very difficult on the Prophet ﷺ to receive wahi like this, what's the reason behind that? Why did it happen like this? So that he would pay full attention. You know, like they say, no pain, no gain. So in order for him to receive the wahi fully, there had to be that pain. And then the Prophet ﷺ said, that, فَيُبْصَمُ عَنِّي وَقَدْ وَعَيْتُ عَنْهُ مَا قَالُ That when he would have grasped it fully, then the wahi would be terminated, meaning then the angel would go. So the Prophet ﷺ would grasp the wahi fully, completely, and then the angel would go. Now, مَا قَالَ What he said. Who does it refer to? The angel, Jibreel. What does it show? That the revelation was spoken by the angel Jibreel. Who brought the wahi? Jibreel. And how did he deliver it? Through speech. How did he deliver it? Through speech. He recited the words. The Prophet ﷺ heard the words. Other people didn't know what was going on. However, the Prophet ﷺ heard the words. So, وَقَدْ وَعَيْتُ عَنْهُ مَا قَالْ The second way through which the angel Jibreel brought the wahi was that he would come in the form of a man and he would speak to the Prophet ﷺ and the Prophet ﷺ would receive, he would take whatever was delivered to him. And we see that Angel Jibreel, he would come in the form of different people. Once he came in the form of a Bedouin, meaning some a traveler, I mean his clothes were extremely white, and he came and he asked, what is Iman and what is Islam? Before that, what is Ihsan and when will the hour be? And then he left, and Umar al-Dhanu, he went and he checked, and he was gone. So sometimes Jibreel would appear in the form of a traveler, a Bedouin, a stranger, meaning someone whom the Sahaba had never seen before, they were not familiar with. And sometimes he would also appear in the form of Dihya al-Kalbi, a companion of the Prophet ﷺ. So, يَتَمَثَّلُ لِيَ الْمَلَكُ رَجُلًا فَيُكَلِّمُنِي So he speaks to me. And then, فَأَعِي مَا يَقُولُ And then I retain whatever he has said. Meaning I retain, I memorize whatever he has read to me, whatever he has revealed to me. So the word wari constantly, what does it show? That the Prophet ﷺ would remember, he would memorize. It was as though he had contained the wahi inside of him. It wasn't that he roughly remembered. That yeah, I think this is what the ayah was. I think this is what Jibreel said. No. He knew it very well. It was as though he had contained it inside himself. He memorized it. He understood it. And when he memorized, understood it, it is then that the angel would depart. Aisha radiranha, she added that I saw the Prophet ﷺ that the wahi came to him on a very cold day, and when it ended, sweat was dripping from his forehead. What does this statement show? This indicates the severity and the exhaustion that the revelation brought on the Prophet ﷺ. That how severe it was, how exhausted he would be on receiving the revelation. How exhausted he would be. And we learn that once the Prophet ﷺ was on a camel, and the wahi came upon him, and what happened? It sat down. Even the camel could not take the pressure. Similarly, we learn that once the Prophet ﷺ had his head or has his knee on Hudayfa ibn Yaman and Hudayfa anhu, he could not take the pressure. He almost removed the head of the Prophet ﷺ because he could not bear the pressure. It became so heavy. So it was indeed very difficult upon him and it was very burdensome, very difficult. And we see that this is of those matters for which the Prophet ﷺ was required to be patient. We learn, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Insan, Ayah 23-24, that, إِنَّا نَحْنُ نَزَّلْنَا عَلَيْكَ الْقُرْآنَ تَنْزِيلًا فَاصْبِرْ لِحُكْمِ رَبِّكَ That we have revealed this Qur'an upon you, a gradual revelation, therefore, be patient. 
Be patient. It was extremely difficult. Now, I want you to understand something. The Prophet ﷺ, for him to receive wahi, was a difficult, painful, tiring, exhausting experience. What does it show? That a person cannot gain knowledge. A person cannot receive something fully until and unless he exhausts himself. And if a person is not exhausting himself, he's not putting in effort, what does it mean? He's not really getting it. He's not really receiving it in full. If there's no pain, if there's no difficulty, if there's no pressure, then what's going to happen? A person will be distracted. He will not be able to focus. So for example, this checklist that we have given you, I'm sure as you see it every day, it causes you to sweat. So as it causes you to sweat and fret, what's the reason? So that you do the work. Because if this checklist is not provided to you, then what will happen? I will revise it tomorrow. I will revise it over the weekend. Over the weekend, I had to go to a wedding. You never got to revise. All that effort that you put in the class memorizing those ayat, gone. Isn't it so? So what do we learn from this hadith? That the process of learning requires from the student to put in effort, to feel exhausted, to feel the pressure. It's part of the package. So if you feel the pressure, if you feel exhausted, don't worry. The Prophet ﷺ, he also felt the pressure. Much, much more severe than we are experiencing. So whenever it becomes difficult, always remember the difficulty of who? The Prophet ﷺ. When you read the ayat and it's difficult for you to memorize them, remember the difficulty that he experienced in receiving them. That we see that the Prophet ﷺ was told to do sabr, not give up. He was told to do sabr, not give up. Because sometimes it happens, when it becomes difficult, you're like, that's it, I cannot do it anymore. Don't give up. فَاصْبِرْ لِحُكْمِ رَبِّكَ Remember the patience of the Prophet ﷺ. 23 years he received the wahi. Imagine going through all that pain, going through all that pressure to the point that you're sweating. It's not easy, it's difficult. So if we take a course at seven months long, or a year long, or a year and a half long, and you feel exhausted, remember the Prophet Wasallam's process of learning was how long? 23 years. 23 years. It was difficult. It was burdensome. But you see, for this difficulty is ajr. Isn't it so? This is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to him, إِنَّا أَعْطَيْنَا كَالْكَوْسَرِ He wasn't given kawsar for no reason, for no effort, for no sabr. His sabr was great. Because he had to suffer a lot in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Forget about the persecution, the rejection of people. Receiving of wahi itself was so difficult. Itself was so difficult. So this is why his ajr was great. Now again, if you connect this with the previous hadith, your intention is for the sake of Allah. Any difficulty you bear, Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah, ala kulli hal. Ala kulli hal. The constant ringing of something, like the ringing of a bell, is sometimes very painful and annoying as well. It's irritable. Fire alarm. I'm sure you guys heard it recently. So you want to close your ears. You want the sound to go away. Why? Because it's not pleasant. Now it doesn't mean that the wahi that came to the Prophet ﷺ, the words were not pleasant. No. This comparison over here, Mithla Salatul Jalas, it's telling us about how difficult it was for him to receive the wahi. It doesn't mean that it was irritating. No, not at all. Not at all. But it was Difficult for him to receive it, just as it would be difficult for a person to hear the ringing of a bell. If the intention is good, if the intention is correct, then this fatigue, this exhaustion, even this brings enjoyment to a person. Even this brings pleasure to a person. But if the intention is something else, then what happens? It becomes difficult. So anytime you feel that you're becoming impatient, ask yourself, why am I doing this? 
Why am I doing this? Ask yourself. And if you revive your intention, your energy will also be revived. You will feel rejuvenated as well. That even in learning all of these ahadiths, a lot of sweat and blood, you know, a lot of effort has been put into it by the scholars of the hadith. Imam Bukhari puts it as a second hadith because he had also put in a lot of effort in collecting all of the ahadiths. So we should also value this work. That the fire alarm, as annoying as it is, as difficult it is to hear it, it's warning you of a greater danger. So is it not necessary to hear it? Is it not necessary? It is necessary. Similarly, the wahi, it was difficult for the Prophet ﷺ to receive it. However, it was necessary. And he had to warn the people with that wahi. Similarly, as difficult as it is to learn this knowledge, it's necessary, it's important because you have to become firm in your knowledge. Isn't that necessary? Think about it. Is it not important for us to improve in our knowledge? To increase in our knowledge? To strengthen our knowledge? To pass it on? It is. So if it's difficult to learn, what does it matter then? Isn't it worth it then? It's worth it. That a person who recites Qur'an easily, for him is one reward. But for a person who recites Qur'an with difficulty, he tries again and again. For him is double reward. So if your intention is reward, Alhamdulillah, more opportunity for reward. That It just shows to us the importance of learning the hadith, studying the hadith. Because when you do that, you get to know the Prophet ﷺ, what he experienced, what he felt, what he went through. And until and unless you know what he went through, you cannot have sabr. Because sometimes we complain about little, little things. But when you learn about what he went through, then you just become quiet. Isn't it? So it's necessary that we gain this knowledge as well, along with the knowledge of the Qur'an. Let's continue. Now the next hadith is a fairly long one. And uh, since we have not too much time, I'm going to do the word to word. Because if I read the entire hadith and then do the word to word, it will take a very, very long time. Okay? So let's start with the word to word. حَدَّثَنَا يَحْيَ بْنُ بُكَيْرٍ Yahya ibn Bukair narrated to us. Who? Imam Bukhari. Qala, haddathana al-lays an uqaylin an ibn Shihabin. Ibn Shihab is Ibn Shihab al-Zuhri. An Urwat ibn Zubair. Urwat ibn Zubair. Who is this? Nephew of Aisha radiallahu anha. Same tabir. An Aisha ummi al-Mu'minina annaha qalat that indeed she said awwalu first ma what budi'a he was started. Bihi with it. Awwaluma budi'a bihi. The first of what came to the Prophet ﷺ. The first or the initial beginning, how it started for the Messenger of Allah ﷺ. What started? Min al-wahi of the revelation. Meaning, at first, this is how the revelation came to the Prophet ﷺ. Because what's the chapter? The beginning of revelation. So this is how the wahi began coming to the Prophet ﷺ. How? Al-ru'ya, the dream. Al-saliha, the good, the right. Al-saliha, over here gives the meaning of sadiqah. Good dream meaning a true dream. Good dream meaning a true dream. What does it mean by a true dream? Meaning what a person sees in the dream, that actually happens. So al-ru'ya saliha. Finnaum, in the sleep. Fakana, so he was. La not yara he would see ru'ya any dream so he would not see any dream illa except jaat it came misla like similar to falaqi daybreak a subh of the morning no dream came to him except that it would come true just like falaqi subh what is falaqi subh 
فلق قل اعوذ برب الفلق the breaking so the day break imagine it's night time and all of a sudden the morning comes the day break the light becomes very clear so whatever he saw in the dream that is exactly what he saw in reality meaning his dream came true so fakana la yara ru'ya no dream he saw illa ja'at mithla falaq as-subh this is how clearly it came true you know sometimes it happens that you see something or somebody says something to you maybe i think i dreamt about this you like maybe hmm? something similar happened this was not a maybe or something similar exactly what he saw in his dream is what happened verbatim exactly summa then the next stage of wahi so initially how was it true dreams then the next stage was hubbiba it was made beloved ilayhi to him meaning to the messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam al khala'u the seclusion khala from the root letters khalam wow wa kana and he was yakhlu he would be alone he would be in seclusion where bighari hira'in in the cave of hira fayatahannasu fihi so he would do tahannus in it what is tahannus one of the narrators and this is ibn shihab az zuhri if you look at the chain an ibn shihab he added this meaning or he gave this meaning so his students whenever they narrated this hadith they would always tell this meaning as well you understand so what is tahannus wa huwa at-ta'abbud so this meaning was given by who ibn shihab az-zuhri so his students whenever they would narrate this hadith they would also give the meaning that their teacher gave it wasn't that a word was added in the words of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam no if you look at how it's written there is a specific sign which shows that it's not part of the hadith so fayatahannasu fihi wa huwa at-ta'abbud and why is it that they would also narrate this meaning so that a person would not confused by the meaning of the word tahannus because tahannus is from hints and what does hints mean وكانوا يصرون على الحنس العظيم سن all right hints means sin so when you look at the word tahannus you would think does it mean sin no he would not do sin but inshallah i will tell you the meaning of tahannus later on when i do the explanation of the hadith so fayatahannasu fihi and what is tahannus wa huwa at-ta'abbud so he would do tahannus in meaning ta'abbud worship where in ghari hira when al-layaliya during the nights al-layaliya plural of layl How many nights? Zawat al-adad. Zawat possessors al-adad number, meaning for a number of nights. So he would do worship in the cave of Hira for how long? A number of nights. Qabla before on that yanzia he would retreat. Literally, nazia is to pull. So he would pull away as if he would have to force himself to retreat to go back from the cave ila ahlihi to his family. Waya tazawadu. and he would take provision lidhalika for that for what for his seclusion in the cave of hira so he would stay in the cave of hira for a number of nights before he would go back to his family and while he would be at hira he would have with him what yatazawadu lidhalika he would have his provisions summa then meaning when he was at the cave then after that yarji'u he would return ila khadijata to khadija radhiyallahu anha then after some nights that he would stay in hira worshiping then what would he do he would go back to his family and who was his wife at that time khadija radhiyallahu anha and obviously why would he go because he would run out of his provision he would run out of his food fayatazawadu then he would take provision limithliha similar to it similar to what similar to what he had taken before so in other words he would take provision go to the cave he would stay there do worship for a number of nights 
when he would run out of the provision, he would go back home. When he would go back home, then he would take more provision and then he would go back again. So it wasn't like once a year he would go. This was a regular habit. A regular habit. This was a routine. He would go constantly, just like you go home, get your lunch and sleep and rest and everything, you come back again. And then you go home and you get your lunch and you know your dinner and you rest and sleep and you come back again. A routine. So this is how, this was the routine of the Prophet ﷺ. Hatta until jāahul haqqu, until the truth came to him. What does the truth refer to? The revelation. وَهُوَ فِي غَارِ حِرَى While he was in the cave of Hira. So the first revelation came where? In the cave. How did it come? فَجَاءَهُ So he came to him. Who? الْمَلَكُ The angel. Which angel is this? Jibreel. فَقَالَ So he said, Jibreel said to him, اِقْرَأْ Read. When Jibreel came to the Prophet ﷺ, he said, اِقْرَأْ قَالَ He said, مَا أَنَا بِقَارِئِ I am not at all a reciter. Meaning, I am not of those people who read. I am not of those people who recite. قَالَ He said, the Prophet ﷺ said, فَأَخَذَنِي now you notice the words of the Prophet ﷺ are being narrated now. Up until now, somebody else was narrating what was going on. Now the words of the Prophet ﷺ are being repeated. Because look at the dhamir. أَخَذَنِي He seized me. If you notice previously what was said, فَجَاءَهُ Who is narrating all of this? Aisha anha. And then she quotes the very words of the Prophet ﷺ. So فَأَخَذَنِي So he seized me. فَغَطَّنِي Then he pressed me. Hatta until balagha it reached minni from me, meaning to me, al the difficulty, meaning it became very difficult for me. So he seized me and he pressed me and he kept pressing me until it became very difficult for me to bear that. Summa arsalani, then he released me. Who? Angel Jibreel. Fakala, then he said, Iqra, read. Qultu, I said, Ma anabiqari. I am not at all one who reads. فَأَخَذَنِي So he seized me. فَغَطَّنِي Then he pressed me. الثَّانِيَةَ The second time. حَتَّى Until بَلَغَ مِنِّ الْجَهْدَ Until it became very difficult for me. ثُمَّ أَرْسَلَنِي Then he released me. فَقَالَ So he said, اِقْرَأْ Read. فَقُلْتُ So I said, مَا أَنَا بِقَارِئِ I am not at all one who reads. فَأَخَذَنِي فَغَطَّنِي So he seized me. And he pressed me a thalithata, the third time. ثُمَّ أَرْسَلَنِي Then he released me. فَقَالَ So he said, اِقْرَأْ بِاسْمِ رَبِّكَ الَّذِي خَلَقْ خَلَقَ الْإِنسَانَ مِنْ عَلَقْ اِقْرَأْ وَرَبُّكَ الْأَكْرَمُ The words of the hadith of the first three ayat in them. Although, how many ayat were revealed? Five. So the words of the hadith have three ayat. I know it's not written in your book, but if you look at other versions, it's present over there. And if you look at the reference as well, الْعَلَقْ one, two, three. فَرَجَعَ بِهَا So he returned with it. Who returned with it? The Prophet ﷺ returned with it and it refers to the wahi. Who? Rasulullah ﷺ. Meaning he came with these words, this revelation. And how did he come? يَرْجُفُ فُؤَادُهُ While his heart was shaking. يَرْجُفُ يَوْمَ تَرْجُفُ الرَّاجِفَةِ تَرْجُفُ Rajifa. What is it? When something quakes, like an earthquake. So Yarjufufu his heart was shaking. He was very, very afraid. And also, if you think about it, when does a person feel his heartbeat like really, really fast? When? When he's scared, nervous, and also when he's been running very fast. So imagine he was on the mount in the cave. There the revelation came. And from there he descended. And from there he went home. And he went very quickly. So that's also possibly why his heart was moving like this. فَدَخَلَ عَلَى خَدِيجَةَ So he entered upon Khadija, بِنْتِ خُوَيْلِدٍ 
the daughter of Khuwailid. So Khadija radiallahu anha. Fakala, so he said, Zammiluni, Zammiluni. Cover me, cover me. So what happened? Fazammaluhu. So they all covered him. Hatta until Dhahaba. It went away. Anhu from him, Arra'u, the fear. So when he came in, he was frightened. He was panicking. He was very nervous, exhausted. And when he came in, he said, cover me, cover me. They covered him until he became calm. Until the fear departed from him and he became calm. Notice how Khadija radiallahu she doesn't question right away, what's going on, what's happening, are you okay? She lets him calm down. And when he calms down, فَقَالَ لِخَدِيجَةَ Then he said to Khadija, وَأَخْبَرَهَا And he informed her, الْخَبَرَ of the news. Then he informed her himself, because he needed to calm down. Sometimes what happens? Somebody gets hurt, they're crying, they're like, what happened, what happened? Tell me, speak to me. They're crying. Let them calm down. Let them relax. And when they relax, then let them talk. Like for example, if a child, if he's crying and at the same time he's telling you what's happening, they cannot tell you. Isn't it so? So فَقَالَ لِخَدِيجَةَ وَأَخْبَرَهَا الْخَبَرَ What did he say to her after telling her? لَقَدْ خَشِيتُ عَلَى نَفْسِي Certainly I fear for myself. So أَخْبَرَهَا الْخَبَرَ He told her everything what had happened. And then he said, لَقَدْ خَشِيتُ عَلَى نَفْسِي خَشِيتُ I'm afraid عَلَى نَفْسِي for myself. فَقَالَتْ So she said, لَهُ to him. Who said? خَدِيجَةُ كَلَّا No way. You have no reason to be afraid. And what does it mean by this statement? لَقَدْ خَشِيتُ عَلَى نَفْسِي I fear for myself. What fear did he have for himself? That he could not perhaps live any longer, he was going to die. He could not take this anymore. Because imagine if somebody, you don't see what's happening, somebody comes and holds you and then releases you and holds you and releases you and doesn't just hold but presses you. You get really frightened. So he was terrified. I'm afraid for myself. I might not live. I might die very soon. And imagine it must have been very painful because the wahi is painful. And also he was afraid, what fear is this? Perhaps of illness, of junoon, of madness. So he was afraid for himself that what's going on? So she comforted him. Kalla, no way. You have no reason to be afraid. Wallahi, by Allah, ma yahzunkallahu abada. By Allah, Allah will never, ever cause you grief. Now over here you see the word yahzunka. Yahzunka is from? Huzn. Huzn is grief. In some other versions of this book, you will find the word yukhzika. And what does yukhzika mean? He will humiliate you. Now why is this difference? One place you learn yahzunka, another place you learn yukhzika. If you think about it, if you write both the words yahzunka and yukhzika, they're written in a very similar way. The only difference is the tashkil and the dots. Isn't it so? So this book, when it was written down by the students of Imam Bukhari, and it was narrated, both were passed down, both were taught. Alright, especially, uh, you know, when you're copying, both the words are possible and they're both correct. Both of them are relevant. Allah will never cause you grief. Allah will never humiliate you. Both are relevant. They both make sense. Abadan ever. Allah will never humiliate you. Why? Because innaka indeed you, latasilu rahim. Surely you join al-rahim, the blood ties, the relationship. Watahmilul kalla. And you carry al-kal, the burden. Or the person who is dependent. We have learned earlier, وَهُوَ كَلٌ عَلَى مَوْلَاهُ In Surah Al-Nahl, the example of a man who is completely dependent on his master. So Al-Kal is someone who is completely dependent on the other. وَتَكْسِبُ And you earn Al-Ma'duma, the deprived or the non-existent. وَتَقْرِي And you give hospitable reception to who? الضَّيْفَ The guest. وَتُعِينُ And you assist, you help Allah upon نَوَائِب Advocates. الحق 
of the truths. Or nawaib, calamities. Two meanings of nawaib. Calamities and secondly, advocates. Al-haq of the truth. Inshallah, I will tell you both the meanings later. Fantalaqat. Then she went. Bihi with him. Who? Khadijatu. Hatta until atat bihi. She came with him, meaning she brought him. To who? Waraqata. Waraqa. Ibn Nawfal, the son of Nawfal. Ibn Asad. Ibn Abdul Uzza. Who was this person? Ibn Ammi Khadijata. He was the son of the paternal uncle of Khadija Radulanha. In other words, he was her cousin. Wakana and he was Imra'an Aman. Qad in fact, Tanassara. He embraced Christianity. When fil jahiliyyah. In the time of ignorance. And what does jahiliyyah refer to? Pre-Islamic period. Wakana and he was Yaktubu. He used to write Al-Kitaba, the writing. Al-Kitab over here doesn't mean book, but it means writing. So he used to write what? Al-Ibrani, Hebrew. He was able to write Hebrew language. So he had embraced Christianity and he could also write Hebrew language. Fayaktubu, so he would write Min al-Injil of the Injil. How? Bil-Ibraniyyah, in Hebrew. He would write Injil, the gospel, in Hebrew. And what would he write? Allah, whatever Allah willed. And yaktuba that he would write. Notice how writing has been mentioned for Injil. Why? Because Injil was not memorized. Like the way Quran is memorized. It was just written. For the Quran, people write it, people memorize it. Injil was just written, not memorized. Wakana Shaykhan, and he was an old man. Shaykhan, an old man. Kabiran, great. Meaning a very, very old man. To the point that Qadamiya, he had become blind. He was that old. Now a person may wonder, firstly it is said about him that he could write Hebrew, and then it said that he was blind. What does it mean by this? He used to write before. And now at the point when Khadija went to him with Prophet ﷺ, he was extremely old to the point that he could not even see. But before, he could write. فَقَالَتْ لَهُ خَدِيجَةُ Do I need to translate these small, small words? No? Okay, alhamdulillah. If you find any word difficult, then... Ask me. So, فَقَالَتْ لَهُ خَدِيجَةُ Khadija said to him, يَبْنَ عَمِّي O son of my uncle, إِسْمَعْ Listen, min from ibni akhika, the son of your brother. Why does she say ibni akhika? Your nephew. Was the Prophet ﷺ actually his nephew? No. Why? Just out of respect. Because he was a very old man. So, إِسْمَعْ min ibni akhika. فَقَالَ لَهُ ورقه, ورقه said to the Prophet ﷺ, يَبْنَ أَخِي مَاذَا تَرَى Oh my nephew, what did you see? فَأَخْبَرَهُ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمُ So the Prophet ﷺ informed him what خَبَرَ The report مَا رَأَى Of what he saw. فَقَالَ لَهُ وَرَقَ So وَرَقَ said to him هَذَا النَّامُوسِ This is ناموس. Who is ناموس? And ناموس literally means messenger. Secret messenger. الرسول السر. الَّذِي The one who نَزَّلَ اللَّهُ عَلَى مُوسَى That Allah sent to Musa. Ya laytani, oh I wish fiha in it jadarun young man. Meaning, oh I wish that I would be a young man. When? When your time comes to propagate this message. So ya laytani fiha jadarun. Oh I wish that I would be a young man, a young fellow. Laytani, I wish akunu, I would be hayyan alive id yukhrijuka kaumuk when your people would expel you. فَقَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمُ أَوَ Will they expel me? A will wa and مُخْرِجِيَّ مُخْرِجِيَّ is actually مُخْرِجِينَ and ya مُخْرِجِينَ meaning ones who expel ya 
یا متکلم بوتھ ٹوگیدر مداف مداف ارے مخرجی یا ونس ٹو ایکسپیل می ہوم دے ول دے ایکسپیل می قال نعم ہی سر یس لم یتی رجل قطن نو مین ہیز ایور کم قطن ایور بمثلی سملر ٹو ما جئت به وٹ یو ہیو کم ود الا ایکسپٹ عودیا ہی واز ٹریٹڈ ود ہاسٹیلٹی عودیا دس از آن دا اسٹرکچر آف فو الا فو الا فرام معادات عودیا فرام عدو So, illa udhya, except that he was treated with hostility. Wa in and if yudrikni, it would perceive me. Meaning, if I would be alive at that time. When? Yawmuka, your day. In other words, if I would be alive at that time, if your day would perceive me, which day? The days when you are propagating, the days when you are calling people. So, if only I would be alive at that time, ansurka, I would help you. Nasran, help. Mu'azzaran, strong. Mu'azzaran, Hamza Zaira Ushdud bihi Azri Strength So Ansurka Nasran Muazzaran I would help you With assistance that is very strong Meaning I would fully support you Summa then Lam yanshab He did not remain alive Yanshab Noon shinba And it gives a meaning of Labisa So he did not remain alive Waraqatu Waraqa An that Tuwufiya That he was recalled Meaning he died وَفَتَرَ الْوَحْيُ And the wahi also subsided. So waraqa, a few days after this happened, he passed away. And you see, لَمْ يَنْشَبْ It gives a meaning of that he did not remain alive to see anything of what he said. What happened to the Prophet ﷺ. Because at this time, the Prophet ﷺ only received nubuwa. Later on, when he was told, قُمْ فَأَنْزِرْ It was then that he received risala. It was then that he became a messenger. Then he was told to warn other people about it, spread the message. So Waraka did not even remain alive until then. He did not see anything of this. And then soon after, Tuwufiya wa fatar al-wahyu and the wahi also subsided. And after that, the wahi came. And the second revelation is mentioned in the following hadith, which inshallah we will study next time. Any questions? Any word that you missed? Any word, the meaning of which you did not catch? Yes. Tuwufiya, he was recalled, meaning he was taken in death. In other words, he died. How do you purify your niyyah? Good question. How do you purify your niyyah? What do you think? Keep reminding yourself, then you will end up purifying your niyyah. But how? That you keep the outcome in your mind. That you constantly ask yourself, what do I want? Do I just want the praise of people? Do I just want to be someone who is remembered by people? Someone who is famous? Or do I want ajr? Do I want to be successful in the hereafter? Do I want to be embarrassed in the hereafter? Do I want to be humiliated on the day of judgment? No. So I better fix this niya. And remember that this process is very, is constant, which makes it difficult. But the only way is that you keep doing it. You keep telling yourself. For example, somebody is not being good to you when you are being good to them for the sake of Allah. You keep telling yourself every time they misbehave with you, I'm not doing it for them. I'm doing it for Allah. And when you want to say something to them harsh, tell yourself, be quiet, you're doing it for Allah, you're doing it for Allah, you're doing it for Allah. You know, you have this internal conversation, you have to have that with yourself all the time in order to purify your intention. Okay. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika, nashadu an la ilaha illa anta, nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.